Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The civil conflict in Libya reached a hopeful milestone in mid-January with a UN-sponsored agreement on a mechanism for holding elections in late December, 11 months from now. It is a complicated arrangement for an executive council, a presidential trio and a prime minister, with candidate lists submitted by regions controlled by either a Turkish-supported Tripoli government or an Egyptian-backed Benghazi militia. To break it all down and perhaps put it together again, we would like to welcome from central Israel Dr. Chaim Kohen, who is the former Israeli ambassador to Egypt and a lecturer to IDC Herzliya. Thank you for joining us. Also joining us from another location in central Israel is Dr. Eran Lerman, who is the Vice President of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security in Electric Chalem College, as well as uh, the co-host of TV7's Middle East Review. Thank you for joining us as well. Good to be with you as always. Indeed. And with us here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and uh, host of uh, TV7's Watchmen Talk, uh, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, I'd like to immediately dive into this topic as uh, Libya has been, even though marginalized to a certain degree on, on the diplomatic and, and political scale, uh, a significant pillar in strategies of other regional actors, uh, which uh, uh, may indicate uh, prospects of a vessel state in the future or, to the contrary, uh, a, a rogue state. Uh, so uh, we would like to somehow explore what is the significance of this country and where are we heading to at this stage? So uh, Libya is uh, geopolitically situated in a very important place, um, smack down the middle of the Mediterranean uh, with oil reserves. Um, Of course, uh, its neighbors, uh, mainly Egypt uh, to the east and Tunisia to the west, um, are looking for their own uh, strategic interests. And uh, uh, the Middle East in general is now marking the 10th anniversary of the so-called Arab Spring, which started in Tunisia and spread uh, all over. Um, one of the uh, victims of uh, this phenomenon was Muammar Gaddafi, uh, who uh, ruled Libya for 42 years. And in a way, what we have seen in uh, Libya over the last 10 years uh, since he was toppled, uh, he was later killed in December of uh, 2011, is uh, something similar to what uh, has happened to Iraq. Uh, A brutal dictator, Saddam Hussein there, Gaddafi here, uh, very uh, cruel, um, uh, an iron grip on his country. Uh, everyone outside of the country uh, uh, abhorring him, coming out against him. But once he is gone, uh, the country uh, does not seem to be governable. Uh, There are tribal and regional uh, fights, uh, foreign intervention by outside powers, uh, such as Iran over there, and here Egypt and Turkey. And in the Libyan case, it seems uh, even more hopeless than in Iraq. Because what we have seen 
is uh, east against west, um, a sort of a civil war, not the north against the south, such as uh, in the American case, but east against the west, supported by either Egypt uh, in the Haftar case or the uh, national government accord being supported by Turkey. And the arrangement which you mentioned regarding the candidate list now has the West, the East, and the South. And you have to add to that not only tribes, but uh, also families, um, because it seems as if um, blood, revenge, um, massacres, you don't see any outside force, be it the United uh, Nations, uh, the um, European Union, any combination of states being able to put a lead on the simmering pot here. Even if what you described as an outline for some sort of power sharing will come to fruition in the next several months, it will probably not hold. Unfortunately, there are plenty of blood feuds uh, ongoing and in tribal Tribal Arabian and, and society. Cl clans, Indeed. families. This is always a, a, a very big challenge to resolve. Uh, I'd like to move to uh, uh, Dr. Lerman. Uh, could you provide us with uh, your perspective on the situation uh, with uh, a touch, if you will, on the Turkish narrative of things with regard to uh, Libya, which is a very significant stakeholder in uh, what we uh, uh, know as the, the uh, Government of National Accord in Tripoli, uh, which uh, was uh, initially formed by the United Nations, but was shunned by a significant part of Libyans themselves. Well, the Turks have positioned themselves basically going back to 2014 as the sponsors of the G what became the GNA. Um, one of the reasons is ideological. Uh, Erdogan sees himself as the patron of all Muslim Brotherhood supported governments in the region. So uh, that extends to Hamas. It extended to Morsi when in the one year he held Egypt. And of course, uh, from the point of view of uh, Erdogan, Sisi is a usurper, a dictator, and uh, essentially an illegitimate ruler of Egypt. Uh, it extends to uh, the Muslim Brotherhood or the uh, Justice and Construction Party, as it is called in uh, Western Libya. And so there is an ideological dimension to this intervention, but there's also geo-strategy. Um, by signing in, by intervening in Libya, uh, particularly since late 2019 in the face of uh, uh, Haftar's uh, LNA advances uh, and the siege of, uh, of Tripoli, the Turks basically extracted in return for their military support a, an agreement uh, with the Saraj government that delineates the Eastern Mediterranean in a way that can strangle Israel, Egypt, and Cyprus and cut off Greece. Uh, if, if accepted, of course, which it is not, uh, cut off Greece uh, from its Eastern Mediterranean allies. This was a direct response to the emergence of the EMGF as a regional organization. And, um, and this map is very dear to the Turks' heart. They are putting immense pressure 
on uh, on uh, people on both sides. Now that this will not be abandoned in the uh, political agreement that might emerge uh, through the uh, agency of the UN. Uh, Stephanie Williams has made some progress, and now the UN finally appointed uh, a negotiator uh, to replace Hassan Salama after more than a year or, or, or nearly a year. But the Turks are willing to undermine this outcome if it does not include um, a adherence to their map of the Eastern Mediterranean. So Libya is by now becoming the playground of Erdogan's neo-Ottoman ambitions. It's becoming more and more complicated because by now there are factions within the GNA that want to deal and uh, apparently the Egyptians have reached out to them. And uh, there are also tensions on the LNA side between Haftar and the, um, and the chairman of the House of Representatives, Saleh mm -hmm. Hakela. So uh, there is, there, it's, it's becoming more and more uh, an internal game in both Tripoli and Benghazi, which the Turks may use to uh, undermine any agreement, any arrangement that doesn't fit their plans, but they could also end up being the losing side. Mm -hmm. Much of this depends on how firmly and decisively the new American administration moves in to curb Turkish ambitions. That is a very important issue. They did very little in that even direction. Though, even though the, we, the, the Russians are also involved, of course, uh, the, uh, there are Russian mercenaries currently involved uh, on the behest on of uh, Haftar and the LNA, the, the Libyan National Army. Uh, which uh, has uh, produced some interesting statements from AFRICOM, the African command of the U.S. military, which uh, actually, uh, even though uh, officially stating itself as neutral uh, within the conflict, it uh, led it uh, into um, siding more and more with the GNA where the Turks were involved in. So it, it seemed uh, very complex at that stage. But uh, just for the sake of our viewers, uh, Dr. Leoman mentioned, of course, the MGF, which is the East Mediterranean Gas Forum. Uh, Israel is part of that. Egypt is part of that. Greece and, and many other countries. The, the key challenge on the legal aspect of things was indeed the EZ agreement between Libya and Turkey, which uh, was not accepted by anyone in the region, uh, to say the least, uh, except for Turkey. Uh, but uh, I'd like to uh, move to Ambassador Cohen with regard to the Egyptian narrative of things. How do you see uh, the Egyptian involvement also uh, putting clear red lines to the Turks uh, with regard to their involvement in Libya, uh, uh, allocating its uh, uh, major divisions of, of its military to be able to invade Libya in case that the Turkish military does not uh, acquiesce to its request. Uh, uh, there are a lot of different forces here at play and a lot of implications. How do you see that? A problem of a failed state like Libya it's not only international, but first and foremost, domestic. It's not only uh, the struggle of power between Prime Minister Saraj and Haftar, but also tribal, local militias and some other uh, uh, players that coming from outside playing within Libya. That weakness causes not only to Turkey to work 
for its own interest, specifically on 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 energy, and trying to shape a new border on the sea in order to promote Turkish interest, but also some other countries to be heavily involved in uh, Libya, such as the Emirates, such as Egypt, and so on. And Egypt shares a 2,000 kilometers border uh, with Libya. Uh, That means that uh, Libya becomes, or it's already, uh, a very important component to many countries within the region. If you would like to uh, join Russia to this game, that Russia, the Emirates, Egypt works with Turkey again, uh, with uh, uh, Egypt against Libya, uh, with Haftar in Libya against Sarraj. So Turkey uh, trying to put the uh, equation in a, in a different point now. Since uh, uh, everybody is involved in Libya uh, so many years uh, from the beginning of this Arab Spring, trying to promote any kind of solution, unsuccessfully uh, yet, even the UN nominated uh, Meldanov, who was a special envoy to the Middle East, and then he regretted and left uh, the nomination for the Slovakian uh, uh, envoy. it shows how difficult it is uh, to bring together all the interest, all the contradictory interest of outsider players into this uh, uh, framework, trying to solve it. The fact that we're talking about 2021 as a uh, kind of a deadline for creating some political or framework or something doesn't uh, necessarily mean that it will happen or uh, it will bring some come out of it. Now, uh, the issue is that in in our era that we're talking about the uh, uh, creature called frenemy, there are countries that they have common interests with some other countries in Libya and contradictory interests uh, interest uh, with other countries within Libya. So it means that it makes the situation very uh, difficult to be solved. And uh, we need to find a new constellation. Maybe the new administration in the US will shape a new uh, policy in the Eastern Mediterranean and try to uh, promote any kind of solution that uh, we didn't see in the last few years. Indeed. Mr. Olgan, I'd, li- I'd like to uh, ask you three angles to this uh, issue. The first one, uh, Ambassador Cohen mentioned, of course, Nikolai Mladenov, uh, the former uh, UN uh, Mideast envoy uh, or envoy for uh, Mideast peace, uh, who headed uh, the UN section within the quartet and, and uh, was uh, in charge of advancing. Uh, talks between Israelis and Palestinians, even though his main role was actually um, assuring that uh, uh, the conflict is uh, subdued to a certain degree, fighting is uh, subsided, uh, back-channeling with Hamas and Israel and and, uh, such, rather than advancing diplomatic issues uh, other than uh, uh, actually just uh, establishing statements after statements that it should happen. 
Is this something that we can also expect now in Libya rather than resolving the conflict uh, to see uh, somebody in charge of assuring that both sides won't fight each other? And then we have the other element of things that uh, we hear from both uh, Ambassador Cohen and uh, Dr. Lehrman is uh, the, the Turkish side and the, the Egyptian side in this whole uh, question, with Greece, of course, being also a big uh, factor here. Now, Europe has, of course, a lot of interests in Libya as well. Uh, we have the EU-mandated uh, mission uh, under UN Security Council resolutions uh, called IRINI, a naval mission to uh, thwart the smuggling of weapons uh, from third countries into Libya, uh, Ironically enough, it's called Irini, which uh, means in Greek uh, peace, but uh, uh, this may, of course, signal to Turkey that in order to achieve peace, Turkey needs to be subdued when it comes to smuggling weapons into Libya. And uh, to what degree is that a factor in this whole uh, picture? And then the third element, is the Biden administration keen on uh, rekindling a, a issue that has been a point of much contention for the Democratic Party under the Obama administration. So uh, the question can be asked, uh, is Libya uh, a superficial uh, state? Um, it has, of course, um, been a joint venture of Cyrenaica and uh, Tripolitania. Uh, the Italians, um, who are the uh, closest uh, to, uh, to Libya ruled it until uh, World War II, and then the British and mostly the Americans, because of Willis Air Base, a strategic Air Force uh, uh, base needed for World War III, uh, they ruled it um, with King Idris until the revolution, until the Gaddafi revolution, which really put Libya on the map. It was a backward country until then. Uh, its oil reserves were not put uh, to use, and only since the late 60s or early 70s has it been a player. Now, uh, Joe Biden, as the vice president uh, in the Obama administration, was part of uh, Operation Odyssey Dawn against Gaddafi 10 years ago, and uh, much um, uh, the way you saw him uh, in the Situation Room when uh, bin Laden was killed. Um, you could have seen him in such situations also vis-a-vis -vis Libya. So this is his formative experience. But is it a top priority for him? One, one does not uh, get the sense that Libya um, is anywhere uh, near the uh, 10 or 20 uh, first items uh, on his list. One, one other uh, lesson that uh, you can see being applied from Iraq to Libya is co-opting the militias. Because you cannot really fight the militias, you offer them to join the uh, military, you try to train them and perhaps get them to serve under the government. They just started it. Only a few uh, weeks ago, they started this uh, experiment, whether it will work, whether we are finally going to see a federal state of Libya or some sort of power sharing, one should not get overly optimistic. Indeed, uh, Dr. Lehrman, 
Where are we heading from here at a time when uh, UN-led negotiations are seemingly producing fruit? There are, of course, uh, the talks uh, ongoing, the 13 plus 13 uh, mill-to-mill talks in uh, uh, Morocco under the, the auspices of the king, Hamad uh, VI. How do you see all of this evolve in a place where the, the biggest losers of the situation are going to be the the... Uh, local residents of, of that country who, who ultimately are going to be uh, put between uh, the, the rock and the hard place when we're talking about regional uh, uh, battles of, of power. Well, I'm not entirely pessimistic, and I'll tell you why. Um, at some point, let's say in the summer of 2020, a, an equilibrium had been reach uh, had been established. The Turks helped the GNA push uh, the overextended forces of Haftar away from Tripoli, away uh, from most of uh, northwestern Libya. But when they started pushing further and further east, the Egyptians put a red line, an implementable red line, in the Jofra Sirt um, line more or less central in the heart and middle of Lib- right in the middle of Libya and basically said if you cross that line we are coming in and as they say in Texas uh, a loaded gun beats four aces and 12 armored divisions beat a ragtag uh, collection of Syrian uh, proxy militias sent by Tur- in, in by Turkey and even the Bayraktars of Turkey cannot be a match for Egyptian F-16s and and Apaches. So uh, this basically put an end to the prospect of a decisive battle. It also made Haftar less relevant and it makes the Turks less relevant. It creates an opportunity uh, for some kind of political arrangement that will uh, sustain this equilibrium. But this must be backed by a robust Egyptian presence over the horizon, and an American determination to cut Turkey down to size, to resolve this issue of the Eastern um, Mediterranean delineation and limit Erdogan's ambitions. If that is done uh, at the core of, as the core of Biden's policy in the Mediterranean, with the French and the Americans working together instead of a cross purposes, uh, with Italy uh, throwing finally uh, uh, a line also to Haftar's side, because Conte and Di Maio went to Rajma in December to meet with Haftar. So finally Italy is also coming on board in the, uh, in the uh, effort to create bridges between the two sides. Maybe, maybe uh, there's a chance that what the, the carnage that we saw in the first half of 2020 will not repeat itself. Ambassador Corinne, uh, your perspective on this, and I, really from a domestic point of view, uh, we, we spoke time and again about the fact that Libya is very tribal and very uh, clan-oriented, very family-minded, uh, Arabian culture slash uh, African uh, influences uh, on the culture, of course. But we have a, a Western part uh, under the control of the GNA with uh, Turkish uh, uh, strings being pulled in order to uh, uh, assure its interests uh, in that country. Then we have the the eastern part, 
which is under the LNA with the Egyptian strings and, and other strings uh, attached to that, of course. And then we have the Southern Lawless string, where we have jihadist militants, Islamic State, uh, uh, the various uh, jihadist organizations operating there, of course, with influences from Boko Haram and, and other organizations uh, very active. Is the international community in a state currently uh, where it can resolve such a complex issue? It's, uh, it's a matter of process, but uh, in the first place, it's a matter of decision. Now, if the coming uh, American administration will uh, uh, reassess its policy towards Turkey, for example, and of course, uh, arranging the relationship with Russia and uh, looking at Egypt and several eye, uh, and acknowledging the new reality that have been established in the region in the last four years. I'm also not pessimistic because there is a possibility of arrangements due to the interest of all sides, namely if uh, Erdogan will be put on its real place and uh, will, uh, uh, unlike it was... Uh, actually shown in Trump administration. And uh, as uh, Abdel Fattah Sisi put the red line, uh, as Dr. Lerman mentioned before, within Libya. And uh, the over, uh, or the determined uh, uh, decision to fight terrorism, namely Boko Haram, those militias within Libya, uh, closing the borders, for example, uh, from uh, Central African Republic to Boko Haram to climb up to Libya, or from Sudan, uh, closing the border from Al-Shabaab or some other militant uh, 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 groups to penetrate into Libya, as well as France will do its own uh, uh, efforts to uh, to prevent uh, 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 Akim and other powers coming from Mali uh, back to uh, uh, to Libya, maybe some uh, determination and uh, 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 control on terrorism, and of course, first and foremost, cooperation between uh, those countries will start to build some kind of trust and some kind of uh, structure. Uh, that they can go on from there. Uh, Ambassador Corinne, uh, unfortunately, this is all that. Uh uh, the time that we have accumulated for each answer. So I'd like uh, a closing sentence from you, Mr. Oren. Um, all it comes down to is political will. Is there currently political will in one sentence? So your question is the GNA versus the LNA, but what is the DNA of Libya? There is some political will, but let's say just a word about Israel's interest. Israel doesn't want Libya to become an arms depot for uh, Gaza, for Hamas, and it doesn't want Egypt to be distracted. Indeed, and it will scrutinize this area in order to assure its uh, national security uh, interests kept. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Eran Lerman, Ambassador Chaim Koren, and Mr. Amir Oren for being part of today's discussion. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. 
For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.